0: Good evening. I uh, Welcome everybody here to CIMC. So I'm very excited about being here. I usually give this talk uh, every season. Last season I was working with the Miami Dolphins, so I got kind of tied up, so I didn't. I, I missed it last year, and I really missed it. Even though I was, wasn't here, I really missed it because I enjoy this time of the year, and this is when this, the center reopens, and it's a time. To me, it's a time of renewal. It's a time of uh, new beginnings. And of course, being in this part of the country, especially in Cambridge and Boston, we have a ton of uh, college students. But it's, but it's not just the college students. It's not just uh, students going back to school, and then even adults going back to school either to teach or to learn. But it's really more about recognition of the fact that learning is extremely important. That's another way of saying uh, seeking wisdom, and that's what we do around here. That's that's one of the antidotes to suffering: is to to be wise and to understand how we are living and and whether or not we're living in a way that's conducive to alleviating suffering. Because that's pretty much what the Buddha taught: suffering and the end of suffering. And so, just to add some context to this, I wrote wrote stuff down because I I like to freelance a lot of the time and now I'm I'm challenging myself to be a little bit more deliberate. And so I wrote some notes down that I wanted to make sure. So the think about it this way in this practice we don't we call teachers and, and fellow travelers good friends. So the idea is tonight we're gonna to engage, we're gonna gather it will be a gathering of good friends and suitable conversation. So, what is this suitable conversation about? It's conversation that's consistent with, with how to live a life uh, that, or how to practice freedom, is what I would call it. And so, when you think about it, when you think about the hindrances, so how many of you folks are new to meditation or not studied much? Okay, so when we talk about, thank you, when we talk about the hindrances or the things that hinder um, our ability to focus, one of them is sensual desire, another one is ill will. Uh, another one is sloth and torpor, worry, restlessness, worry, restlessness. Have, you, have you experienced any of that stuff? <laughs> so, and doubt. Uh, so, so, there's all sorts of, um, of things that get in the way of us being present, and so we get together and we talk about those things. And what I try to do is I try to spin it a little bit, because in this culture, we're very good at pathology and focusing and, and, and analyzing what's wrong. And I like to focus on what's right. And so in terms of of looking at things like the hindrances, we can also look at the five spiritual powers, which I call the five spiritual powers, which I'll talk about uh, later. But also, I'm getting ahead of myself, but when we talk about mind objects, we're talking about the five hindrances, and we're also talking about the, the, the factors of awakening, like mindfulness, you might have heard of that one. And there's investigation, which we don't really talk about a lot, but investigation is really important. So investigation, um, right effort of diligence, and then we have rapture, and then we have tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. You don't need to know all of those, but these are the things we talk about. How do we do things? How can we be more present? How can we suffer less? Or how can we identify when we're suffering? And then uh, what are the things we can do to alleviate or to release ourselves from suffering? And so we get together and we talk about stuff. So this is one of the things I'm very excited about because I get to study. I study a lot. And then I get to come out and, and share my experience, but also to engage with you and to explore this thing called life and how are we how are we going to do this thing in a way that helps us be who we are. Because even though one size, you know, we're taught like one size fits all, one size does not fit all. Each person has to work it out for themselves. So we have to talk about that kind of stuff. So it's a new season, I said that, uh, new beginnings. So questions, is interesting because I have to ask myself, and when I work with different clients, the first thing I ask them is, what do you want? And so that's a question we can ask ourselves. It's a new beginning, and this is a, actually an opportunity for us to do things differently or to really think about, or oh, what do we really want? And who do we need to be? to do what we really want? That's an interesting question, but that's a good reflection. And then we'll get into what's self-observation have to do with this, and how is it helpful or beneficial? And so what I thought I would do is just talk about my own experience, because this has been an interesting year. So (coughs) self-observation is what's what's been critical for me to be who I am now. And I'm homegrown. I used to live here, I want to say 33 years ago or twenty twenty three years ago. Um but I came up on some interesting um uh milestones this year. So fifty years ago today today I started my career at UMass Amherst. So that means I graduated from high school fifty years ago. And I am still trying to get my head around that one. Because fifty years that's a half a century. <laughs> and i also celebrated 35 years of sobriety and so that's been interesting and and just thinking about i went back to school 33 years ago at cambridge college and got my graduate degree in a, in psychology but the interesting thing as i reflect on how self observation has helped me is when i got into this this process is just this idea that um by me being able to understand that I had this capacity to step back and observe myself. That was, kind of, was kind of weird for me, but that's exactly what we have the capacity to do. And so what happened to me is, when I, when I got into recovery, I started realizing that a couple of things, especially around here, is that, um, that I have Buddha nature. I have a masterpiece within. I started off with that. That's what I started off with. And for some of us, that might be Buddha nature, might be Christ consciousness, might be Kuan Yin, or the divine spark, whatever that is. This is what I came to realize that I had a masterpiece inside of me, and how I, how I use my consciousness, how I experience or express word, thought, or deed had everything to do with whether or not I could access that masterpiece. And I also realized that that this is a friendly universe, because when I first came around here, I felt like, hmm, we're not so friendly, <laughs> especially where I grew up and how I was raised. Uh, I didn't think it was a friendly universe, but then I realized it's a friendly universe, and that's the question that, that uh, Albert Einstein said that we had to ask, is whether it's friendly or unfriendly. I won't get into all of that, but I will say this. Once I, I accepted the fact that it was a friendly universe and it was lawful, we talk about the dharma here, there's a lawfulness there's there's teachings that that, that lead to to the end of suffering, then I could accept that fact and then say, "Okay, why don't I align myself with how things work? Why don't I start reflecting on and understanding how the law of whether it's karma or the idea of suffering and the end of suffering. We can talk about the noble truths, but I don't want to get into the five this, seven that. I just want to keep it really, really simple and just say, once I understood that and I understood there was a community, so I really used this community here besides going to uh, 12-step meetings and then other self-help meetings and being being around people. But really, it was more about me for 35 years, averaging over a book a week. So I was pursuing excellence and wisdom, and I didn't know it. I thought I would, but I knew I had to be intellectually stimulated. But once I got out of survival mode you know being a a drug addict and alcoholic and i started realizing that oh i want to understand how this mind body works and they give me the teaching but how do i how do i manifest it how can i have a direct experience of that so that's what i've been doing for these uh 35 years whatever it is Is just really taking responsibility for my own happiness and realize that it's an inside job that what I see out there is a reflection of what's in here, and I know that's a very challenging teaching Because when they first told me that I wasn't trying to hear that But that's what it is. And so I just wanted to set the context a little bit and then I'll go into my free mode uh, But anyway um, So this idea of self-observation, so what is it that I needed to observe? And so I needed to observe number one um, being in recovery, that my best thinking couldn't keep me from getting high. And that I had to behave my way in the proper thinking. And so around here we talk about the idea of, of we talk about right view. And so everything starts with right view. And I won't get into all of what that means, but let's just shortcut it and say that right view has to do with having a wholesome mind state or a positive mind state. So that means having a mind state that's full of renunciation or generosity, loving kindness, compassion, and seeking wisdom. So the, the antidote to greed, hatred, and delusion, which is just not knowing, being ignorant. And so, so I got into this, and of course, I don't do anything easy. I, it was really intense, and it took me about 20 years to figure out I was trying too hard. And that easy does it. The slow motion gets you there quicker. <laughs> and so so I um so this idea of self observation is really really interesting. So we observe so we observe in here, we talk about observing the body. We observe, you know, and we talk about the foundations of mindfulness, because the mindfulness is the the heart of this process, but it's not enough by itself. It has to be supported by diligence or right effort. This continuous application, never quitting, just initial, uh, getting the initial effort, but then persisting and then getting to a point where it becomes invincible, where it, it, become, it has an energy of its own. But we have to start with this friendly universe. This is how I had to start, with the friendly universe, and then realizing that, that um, I needed to use my resources to align myself with how things are. So I don't know if you notice it, but things are impermanent. I'm not in high school anymore. 50 years ago and of course my body doesn't look like it did 50 years ago so things are changing things are impermanent um, and we suffer because things are impermanent or we get you know I uh, the things that I love I don't I no longer am associated with back then things I hate I'm not no longer associated with but things are changing but we suffer I suffer because I don't want things to change I want things to be permanent and if I'm really honest with myself, this is why this idea of, <clears throat> of self-observation has to do with observing my reactions to life. So if I want to know who I'm being, all I got to do is watch my reactions to whatever happens. So if somebody you know, says something that, that offends me and I react to it, that's telling me the mindset from which I am observing things. It's probably not right view. probably has something to do with fear, doubt, or insecurity or some negative emotion. And so for me, especially growing up in Boston in a tough neighborhood, I don't get stressed. So that's what I believe. That's my secret self par, no wrist straight, no stress. But then when I started doing this self-observation, I noticed uh, you know, dude, your shows up around your ears. What's up with that? <laughs> You got a migraine headache. You got back. You got muscle tension. What's up with that? You might not be stressed out, but there's some stress in this body here. And so, being able to be honest with myself and say, okay, well, maybe there's a little stress there. Maybe I gotta check that out. So, so this is what we have. We have this secret self that we hide from everyone. And we, you know, at least I was doing it and putting on this show. And it's only when I am able to have an uncritical uh, observation, which is another way of saying mindfulness. Of myself that I could see, okay, based on what I've done, then what was the thinking? What was How was I seeing things? And how was I feeling? And if I change how I'm seeing things, then how do I know when my self-observation is helping me to change or be who I say I want to be and to do what I say I want to do? By watching my reactions to life. I don't have to be on a cushion to figure that out. As a matter of fact, when you go home around your loved ones, you really see how you are. Oh, I'm a loving person. Well, good luck with that one. Because we see that the people, familiarity breeds contempt, at least for me, being around my family and certain people, they push buttons and I react all these years later. But it's only until I can see, like I said, when I had distress, oh, oh, you're reacting to that. So based on that, you got to check out how you're seeing things, how you're feeling. And so with this um, foundation of mindfulness, you start to observe the body. Even when I'm sitting and breathing and just knowing I'm sitting and breathing to the extent that, that there's a body and there's a continuity of, of bare awareness and mindfulness, that's enough. Even if it's just a little knowing, just I'm sitting and breathing. I'm sitting and listening. I am sitting and talking uh, to what we're engaging in conversation. And I'm doing that. And so if I could be here now, and when I'm not here now, then all I have to do, I don't have to beat myself up and say, oh, distract, you know, distracted mind and come back and then begin again, get back on the horse. That's all it is. It's that simple. I have an aim. I fall off track. I jump back on. But I have to be aware that I'm off. So if only I could do that. It's an inside job. If somebody else is seeing me, they might see me, but they don't know the inner life. They don't know the thoughts and the emotions. And with me, what I notice now on reflecting all these years later, before, I would have, I call it the negative committee. There would be a committee in there, negative, telling me I can't do this, or how come I can't have this, and which, you know, you're never going to be anything. Who do you think you are? All of that negative self-talk. But it was only by me seeing my reactions to a situation in terms of my self-talk and my body language, that I was able to say, okay, what is that? Is that fear? Is that doubt? Is that insecurity? Or is it just a mind full of fear? If I just say fear is present in the mind, because of fear, now I'm in survival mode. And you can't be in survival mode and growth mode at the same time. So if I'm in survival mode, that's the reptilian brain, and I can watch me just get in the fight, flight, or freeze. And so to the degree that I'm able to observe myself uncritically, just notice, oh, fear is present, or I'm in survival mode. And I could try to get into the mind and try to figure out why and why now, and I, you're always doing that. I could do that. Or I could just notice, oh, my body, when fear is present, you know, I'm I'm tight, you know, my jaws are tight, and I'm afraid, and I'm waiting to exhale. And all I have to do is Okay, can I accept it and be with it? And then say, okay, then how do I change it? How do I change it? i got to change my mind. That's what we call right effort. You know, you have an unwholesome mind state, how do you abandon it? You have a wholesome mind state, so if I have fear, how do I, or anxiety, I think that's a good one, especially these, these days. Since 2016, there's been extreme anxiety around here, especially <laughs> you know, in this country. And so when anxiety is present, part of it is, okay, I can observe myself. So, so there's a teaching of anxiety and how do you abandon it, but then how does George do that? How do I have a direct experience? So anxiety or whatever it is, if I can feel it in my body and just be with the bare sensation, just be with it and let it be and breathe through it and create space between stimulus and response, and I just let it be there uncritically, just observing it. What is this? And then if I can bring an investigation or interest into it and say, well, what is this? Or how is my body when when anxiety is present? And that's part of it, you know, knowing that anxiety is present in, in the mind. And then the body's going to feel a certain way. I got on anxiety glasses. So everything I see is going be going to be in that fight or flight. I'm going to have tunnel vision. And that's it. It's really that simple. Anxiety is present. First, we abandon it, but then we turn towards it and try to understand what is it and how did it arise? What sense door did it come through? Did I see somebody? Did I think of something? Did I hear something? Did I image, visualize something? We start to see that it all comes through one of the sense doors. Something happens, and then we interpret what that means. That it knows it, oh, it's a sound. We could be sitting here. Be in deep meditation and a fire engine goes by. Well, depending on our observation, it could be noise or it could just be a sound. Oh, it's, well, I can't meditate. Sirens going. I don't like sitting in the city. It's too, too noisy. And the only thing that happened was the sound came in. But instead of hearing the sound and then noticing unpleasant and just letting it stay there, just noticing the sound you know, you know, enlarging that that period of pure awareness where there's not that associative thinking and abstract thinking and selfing or embellishment going in and relating to that sound as if it was the past rather than just letting it be there, letting it float through, we suffer. And so now we start to see, okay, by just by observing, be still and know and just notice that when the sound comes, even though I'm trying to be a good yogi and act like it doesn't bother me, my jaws get tight, you know, and I'm upset, oh, you know, and it's like shh, can hardly breathe. All I gotta do is say, "No, that's okay. That's interesting. How's that working for you?" So <laughs> I say all the time, "How's that working for you?" I don't say it like that. I usually put an adjective in front of it. How's that working for you? <laughs> but <laughs> it's like getting to it and realizing that that we can learn. From the moment we wake up to the time we go to sleep, we can just notice, uh, are we reacting and responding to things? And if we are reacting, are we reacting in terms of, if I say my my uh, ideal is love, if, if, am I being loving? Am I being forgiving? And when I'm not, I just notice that and say, okay, so what was my mindset? What was my mood? How am I seeing things? And what does the practice have to do with this? So we practice loving kindness. We We practice... Appreciative joy. So, so if you're a New England Patriots fan and they're playing the Dolphins and they lose to the Dolphins, do you, can you, can you appreciate the Dolphins winning? And why do we do that? That's challenging. Well, it's because appreciative joy is, is to join with others and it's an antidote to jealousy and envy. And so when we do, um, have something positive happen to me, can I enjoy it? Because to me, especially initially coming around here, it was unpleasant for things to go well. That's not the way my life has been. So it's like, oh, when's this shoe gonna fall? The next shoe gonna drop. So I could see the, uh, the, the dis-ease or the unease of that. And then not notice it, okay, then I gotta investigate. Well, what is that? How, why am I seeing things that way? And it's all it's telling me is that's your reaction, so you gotta change your mindset. Gonna change how you see yourself, how you see things, and then that will be different. And how will you know when you transformed or when you had a transformation of consciousness? Because my reaction will be consistent with who I say I wanna be and where I say I want to go. How simple is that? But the challenge is being able to see what is difficult to see. The challenge is to be still and know and to be and to take responsibility that I am responsible. It doesn't mean people don't mistreat me and other things, but I get to choose how I'm going to react or respond to them. Because the Buddha said, hate, only love, that's how you respond to hate through love. If you hate, respond with hate, and then we got an eye for an eye, and we got a lot of people walking around with one eye. So we have to think about that. So this idea of self observation, as simple as it is, is really powerful. And around here, we talk about how to observe experience. In a way where we can see how things arise and pass away. We see that the mind, even if it's unconcentrated, it won't stay that way. But it's important to know, I, you know, the, the mind is unconcentrated. The mind is concentrated. There's lust in the mind or central desire in the mind. There's an absence of central desire. The mind is, is concentrated. The mind is at ease. And so we start to think about that. But how do we know that stuff? A big part of it is, keeping it simple, is really understanding the inner life, the inner dialogue, the self-talk. How many people know what I mean by self-talk? Okay, and it could be thinking. And how many people have had arguments with people and they're not here? Okay, (laughs) that's what I'm talking about. So you start seeing, oh, you're arguing and and you're trying to prove your point. And you have to understand, there's a consequence to that. That's telling you your mindset is a certain way. And so why not, you know, we talk about it, why not instead of, how about peace, how about seeing the person based on how you want them to be? Or, or seeing them with kind eyes, seeing ourselves with kind eyes. That's where we start, because it starts with the self, with me, It it's about me accepting me to the degree that I can, and knowing who I am, knowing myself, knowing how I can have uh, a direct experience of what people are offering me, we have this suitable conversation. Can I go and see if it's true? Don't take my word for it. Check it out. I said, Buddha said, don't believe me. See for yourself. And so we do that. So if we're getting sitting and waiting, and it's interesting because I come and teach, and people think that I'm giving them stuff or that I'm helping. And I don't really see it that way. (laughs) I don't see it that way. I see it as we we are communicating. And what I give to you, I'm also giving to myself. Because if I can get beyond this illusion of separateness, that's the other poison, and realize that we are all one, then it's a different experience. And if I can say, okay, can I see myself in, in my best light, and can I just hold the space or hold the wish that I may be happy? I may be, um, experience, uh, feel safe and protected. I may be peaceful. May I live with joy and ease? And can I offer that to other people? And so to me, what I've found is you got to be the message. So if I want love, I got to be loving. And when my reactions to life are contrary to that, am I willing? Am I willing to say, okay, um, what do I need to change? Or, how, or it always starts with the mind. Buddha said the mind is the forerunner. So if my mind is right, everything else is going to be right. But it doesn't mean jumping over a step. So I'm going to share what I've done. Sometimes, you know how many people have anger? And I have anger and I do loving kindness. And I'm doing loving kindness so there's awareness of anger. And then there's the action. I skip the step. You all know what the step is? It's called acceptance. Really be with the anger and really acknowledge it. Own it. That's very dangerous (laughs) because nobody wants to be around you when you got that anger and you don't want to be around yourself. But unless we accept it and say, okay, it's here and then acknowledge it, then we can let go. We can do the compassionate action. But I did this. I I skipped a step and I was doing the the mindful, uh, the loving kindness in order to get rid of it. That's a virgin. It's a subtle thing, but it's a virgin. And so it's being able to just be with, have equ- equanimity. All experiences are, are of equal value. That's what Dr. David Hawkins said, and I believe that's true. That's equanimity. Looking at evenly. If it comes, great. If it doesn't come, great. So when I work with my athletes, especially the elite athletes, I tell them when they go give a, give a, get an interview from the newspapers, Whatever they say, just say thank you. Because one day you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, and the next day you're the biggest choke artist of all time. And it could be in the same day. So just say thank you and just notice praise and blame. That's that's a teaching. I remember teaching in, in prison, and I had these two, they were called... um they were recovery units, and the first one was the new, newbies, and then the second one was the, the guy, the guys had been there for a while. And so I went and talked to the newbies, and I'm talking to them, and I give my little dharma spiel, and they, they're standing up, clapping, and saying, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. So then I gave the exact same talk to the second group, and they're looking at the clock like, when's this stiff gonna finish? <laughs> so it was right in my face. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's what it is, and so learning that. But even though I say that, there's going to be a reaction. There's going to be times when I say I don't really like feeling this, and I can't, and I, I'm not interested in letting go. I want to, but I can't. And the letting go sometimes is, is a process of letting go of not being able to do it, not being able to do it. That's where the right effort comes in, where we we keep. Trying, we keep doing it, you're gonna have to do it seventy times seven. Do you all know that seventy times seven means? It's not a number, it means keep doing it till you can do it. That's a good one, huh? Do it till you can do it. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it took me a long time to figure out this right effort thing. I mean decades. I sit through pain, I had that warrior effort, and and at some point my bike got on fire and I said, okay, let me try something else. But unless that I have that sense of urgency, unless I have this commitment to excellence, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing unless there's the moment of truth where, where it's, where, where it's, it's vital. It becomes a, a sense of, there's a sense of urgency or the gift of desperation is what I like to call it. Then when that happens, then I can just say, okay, let me try it differently. So now it's interesting. 35 years later, recovery 50 years after high school, I am more, enthusiastic, and more joyful than I ever was. But how the hell did that happen? Self-observation and the practice. Good friends and suitable conversation. And a willingness to learn and try to understand things. And so instead of looking at this, this shouldn't happen, I look at it with curiosity, interest. Oh, what is this? Who do I need to be to do what I say I want to do? So I work with people from Yale the jail, locker rooms, boardrooms. It doesn't matter if you got a mind and body, I can probably work with you. So when I'm working with the Miami Dolphins last year, I'm in a very transactional environment. That's a nice way of saying it. And just going in there and people you know say, Well, who do you like working with the best? And I say, it's not like that. It's the person in front of me. It's like, how can I serve? So that's how I look at it. Well, you know, they're hitting, they're getting concussions. I said, listen, I'm just trying to alleviate your suffering and work with the folks that want to work with me and try to bring a little love, compassion into it. So maybe I can help them when they go home. They can be more loving with their kids or whatever. But just like me, they want to be happy. Just like me, they want to avoid suffering. Just like me, they're learning for, from life. Now, some of us learn more, more difficultly, um, have more difficulty learning than others. But it's really that simple. It's really about just, for me, it's just having an aim or having an idea or what I want to do. And then when I get off track, uncritical observation of what I need to change. And usually it's the mindset. It's usually me having to bring more effort or having more, more faith, more trust. So trust, trust and, 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 and insight. Seeking insight. So I'm pursuing excellence and wisdom with grace and ease. The grace and ease wasn't there before, but it's there now. And it's wonderful. And if I can do it, you can do it. And so I share this to say, you don't have to be like George, just be you. You got a masterpiece. You got Buddha nature, Quan Yin energy, divine spark. And how we direct our attention how we experience, how we express word, thought, and deed is going to determine whether we're making heaven or hell. I know that's a challenging teaching, but that's my experience, is that that's what it's about, that we're here and we talk about how we're going to do this. And so I talk for a little bit, I don't want to talk much more, but my whole idea is just to understand that we are wired so we can observe our experience from a relaxed receptivity Sometimes I call it the eye of the hurricane, where we're just observing things with, with patience, with understanding, witness, uh, wisdom. We have to know a little bit, even if it's just information or rash intelligence or direct experience. What we're doing, we've got to ask, what are we doing? What's our intention? What's the best way to do it? And how am I seeing things? What's my mind? Is my mind wholesome or unwholesome? And you can tell what your mind is based on your thoughts. Your thoughts are going to be reflection on the mind. So we start figuring it out, but you might have to be like me and watch your, have uncritical observation of your reactions to life, especially when it's around things that we think we got control of or that we master. But there's always another level. So I'll just end the um, lecture with that and then open it up for questions. Thank you for listening.